Emerging markets are in many ways the last frontier of stock and bond investing for Canadians, but they shouldn't be. Welcome to Personally Invested. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. In 1820, Southeast Asia alone was responsible for 55% of the world's economic output. That number dropped to only 15% by 1950. By 2020, the IMF projects that that number again will exceed 40%. And that does not include the amazing things that are happening in the Middle East, Africa, emerging Europe, and Latin America. If you believe in the adage that investors should go where the growth is, then emerging markets is a place many Canadian investors should be looking at for their portfolios. However, because of the diversity of options in emerging markets, having the right expertise on your side is important. In this episode of Personally Invested, I'm joined by Philippe Langham and Laurence Bensafi. In his role as the head of emerging market equities at RBC Global Asset Management, Phil oversees a team in London that manages over $5 billion in assets for Canadian investors. Laurence is a critical part of that team with a specialty in the very interesting area of dividend-paying stocks in emerging markets, something I think will be particularly interesting for Canadian investors. When you listen to our discussion, you'll get a sense of their experience and the team approach they employ to unlocking this last frontier of investing for Canadians. And they're a lot of fun too. Enjoy. All right, Phil and Laurence, thanks for joining us today. Great to have you here. We're, we're here in London. One of these days we're going to get this format right and, uh, and, and do these interviews in a, in a, in a pub. <laughs> but uh, we, we, uh, we're, we're, here in a, we're here in a studio today. Emerging markets is uh, is is a fantastic story, and we uh, I, I'm over in London uh, on on a trip, and so we wanted to get you together because you're you're based out of London with your with your teams, uh, managing emerging markets in a lot of different ways, and the the emerging market story, as we say, is something that uh, Canadian investors really should be should be on, and uh, and and maybe have been reluctant to get there, but for you, it's uh, the emerging markets are natural. Uh, you've always uh, it, it's it's a, an area where you're comfortable. You understand the opportunity. What the I, I, we were talking earlier, Phil. You're you were you're, you're from London, but I asked you the the Philippe mm -hmm. as the spelling, the French spelling of uh, of of your first name, uh, because my my daughter's name is Isabel, and we use the French spelling uh, as opposed to uh, to the some of the more popular derivatives. But the the Philippe, where does that come from, Phil? Well, yeah, my mother was actually born in Morocco um, and, and French was her first language. She moved to London when she was about 22 or 23. So um, actually it's at, at home um, I spoke both French and English for my first uh, five years but once I started school I actually refused to speak French after that which was a big mistake of mine. Big. <laughs> I have the same experience growing up. I, I, grew up in, I grew up in Montreal and 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 lost all my French when I when I moved to Toronto. It's it's not a smart thing to do. Of course, Laurence, your, your guys, French yeah. is uh, fantastic because yeah. you you're from Toulouse, correct? I'm from Toulouse, but often people ask me, "Wow, your French is really good. Where did you learn?" I say, "I'm French." <laughs> so clearly, I've got a kind of a weird accent that is kind of mixed from the south of France. And then I lived in Paris for seven years. Then I've been in London for 13 years, so I've got like a mix, and I probably speak half French, half English, even when I speak French. So. And, and one of your parents is Algerian. Yeah, my dad is Algerian, and my mother is half Italian and half French. Wow. So, 
we've got uh, a, an interesting combination of, of backgrounds. And now, now is that what, uh, in some ways, the, that emerging market background, in, in, is that what led you to an interest in emerging markets in any way? Well, actually, for me, um, when I left university, I qualified uh, as an accountant. Um, at that time, um, accountancy was the main financial qualification that existed. I then went traveling to uh, Asia for a year, and, and really that's when I fell in love with emerging markets. I fell in love with uh, the dynamism, the different cultures, the real feeling that people had in terms of uh, wanting to be successful. Um, and I very much wanted to get a role that, that combined uh, my financial background um, and, and the dynamism and the different cultures that I saw and, and was very fortunate um, at that time to get a role uh, as, as an emerging market analyst. And, and that's really the, the, the essence of the excitement that, that investors should have about emerging markets as well, correct? Because it's, it's, there's just amazing things going on. That, that's right. The there's, always, there's, there, there's always different things going on. Um, uh, really, no, for us uh, in our jobs, no, no two days are, are ever the same. Um, and, and really the whole story about emerging markets is, is the growth that we see. Uh, 20, 25 years ago, emerging markets represented something like 30, 35% of global GDP. It's now 55% of global GDP. So really a very exciting area to be in. And you, you obviously have a similar excitement. Now, did you, you, you did not start working in the emerging market area. How did you to get into this no, part of the, the market? No, that's true. I actually I started to work uh, more covering global equities. And I started to do a little bit on Asia. And I was like, wow, it looks really interesting compared to, you know, always the same companies when you, when you cover Europe or the US. Uh, exactly what Phil said for us. Every day we come up with new companies we never heard about, actually, because there's constant new, even countries are coming up. We've been investing recently in countries where I never invested before, like Bangladesh or Argentina. So uh, there's always something new, and it's very, very exciting. And one thing that is important, and I, when I talk to investors a little bit everywhere, people tend to have a very big home bias. When I go in Canada, people have a large portion of Canadians actually are among the worst the in worst, the world in know, terms but, of having the home bias. But, but I tell them, you know, it's the same everywhere. I go to France, they own French equities. We talk in the UK to clients. So it's, it's totally normal. So, uh, But it, it's normal, but it's a shame because you miss out on a lot of great opportunities, as Phil said. So we see also our job, I think, in kind of um, educating people, but in a good way, just telling them, look, I know it looks a bit scary from the outside, but we've been to the countries, we've been covering those countries for a very long time, and uh, there are a lot of good things in those countries, and your portfolio can really benefit from exposure. And, and that's the essence of one of the, one of the things I, I remember hearing you say uh, many years ago, is this, this whole idea that when, when you say you're going to find, you're investing in a new country for the first time, or a company that you may not have heard of, that that's the really the opportunity you have as an investment manager to add that extra edge because there's not a lot of people following some of these companies. So you yeah. apply that great background you have and... No, absolutely. I think um, if you look at uh, different areas of, of global markets, a lot of people would say that a lot of areas have become quite, quite efficient. Um, but emerging markets, and particularly smaller emerging markets and smaller emerging market countries, one area that, that really are truly inefficient and one area where it is possible for, for active managers 
who do their homework, who do their research to be able to add value. Absolutely. Yeah, and and, and just the, the the whole idea of efficiency and inefficiency is, you know, for a, a company on the S and P five hundred in the U S, there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who are covering these large, large stocks. But as you say, a small company in Bangladesh, maybe not so. There's, so there could be something great happening and the market just doesn't realize and, and, and you flush it out and, and you go and visit it, correct? Yes, totally. Yeah, we, we, do, we do about 500 company meetings a year overall. So eight of us on the team, we visit two to three countries per year, each of us. So that's a lot of companies we visit in the end. And then we go on the ground. Phil, you were in Bangladesh uh, only uh, last well, yeah, um, it was actually, yeah, I went to Bangladesh um, last March, so about a year ago, first time um, I've been there, and really very exciting, very dynamic country, um, large population, and it very much felt to me like India 15 or 20 years ago. You can really feel, I mean, GDP per capita is still extremely low in a country like Bangladesh, but the opportunity for, for growth the, the, the low penetration that you see in a lot of different uh, industries really makes it very interesting. And so few analysts cover um, companies in, in, in that area. So a very exciting opportunity. Yeah, and, and six months ago, that was your, your favorite emerging market. Is that, is that still the one you like or is something else popped up on the well, we like um, we, we actually quite like frontier markets in general at the moment. Um, we did feel with with frontier markets um, three or four years ago that valuations uh, looked quite quite extended. So essentially, frontier markets are the emerging emerging markets, but those emerging markets at um, at an earlier stage of of, of development, um, and these can present quite interesting long term opportunities. Um, what we saw three or four years ago was a large number of frontier funds got launched chasing really what is quite a, a small number of different companies and valuations got quite stretched. Now that's very much changed over the last two or three years and, and we've seen emerging markets overall outperform frontier markets. And we feel that um, a lot of the opportunities in, in frontier markets have more recently been overlooked. Um, Bangladesh is, is, is a great example. The Bangladesh market hasn't done too much, while emerging markets overall have been quite, quite strong. Um, so, you know, this is uh, some of the areas where where we can at the moment find good opportunities. Now, Laurence, you specialize in an area that I, I think a lot of Canadians would be surprised even exists. Uh, Canadians love dividend-paying stocks. There's tax benefits to mm -hmm. to investing in Canadian dividend-paying companies. Uh, and there, there's also a consistent, uh, strong performance of dividend stocks relative to the rest of the market. But we don't think of emerging markets as a place to go and get dividends. How, how is this a real opportunity? Uh, and and w why is this something that people don't know about? Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, emerging market has changed a lot over the past few years. And it's true that a few years ago, uh, people were investing in emerging market. I mean, the number of companies was fairly small. People were after growth and quality, which is a great way of investing in the asset class, uh, but that was about it. And right now we feel that there's many other ways of investing in emerging markets. I mean, Phil mentioned looking at Frontier or looking at small cap, but also looking at the dividend segment that we feel is really interesting because actually more and more companies are paying dividends in emerging markets. But overall, 
uh, they're still paying less, but they grow, the dividends are growing fast. And when you see dividend growing fast, you've got a re-rating story for the companies because obviously they are worth more. Um, so uh, we find this a very interesting angle. Uh, it's also a way of buying into more kind of value companies. And again, that's the segment that is very underinvested, uh, underowned in emerging market. When you look at, again, you were talking about your Canadian exposure, people would have uh, Canadian dividend, can, Canadian value equities, but they don't in emerging markets. So it really means that there are some opportunities that have been overlooked. Yeah. So we really like that and, segment. And it's that growth in dividends that's key. Those are the stocks that outperform. And I, I, I forget who, who coined the phrase, you can't fake a dividend, right? Yeah. You, you, you have to pay a dividend out to, and, and so, so that means when a company is consistently growing and they have to make that payment, that's showing that consistent, that track record of growth. And is yeah, that, is, we, you see the same thing in emerging yeah, markets? Yeah, it's absolutely the same. We like the quality, the, the dividend element, because for us, that's a sign of quality. As you said, in emerging markets, some companies don't have the best corporate governance. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes, if you look only at earnings, you can see things, are, or even sales. You can manipulate a lot your revenues, right? But uh, dividends is cash that is paid out of the balance sheet. So as you said, you cannot fake it. So we see it really as a sign of a good quality of a company. If a company can increase year after year the dividends, um, that's very positive. And usually you see value creation for, for the shareholders, so capital appreciation as well as dividend payments. So an interesting way for, for an investor to get into emerging markets, and, and they may have that, again, that, like you say, that perception that the, they can play around with the numbers. We're not really sure if that profit's real. But with a dividend, you've got to pay it. So yeah. uh, small caps, though, Phil. <laughs> if you, yeah. If, if an investor in Canada is worried about going outside of Canada, uh, maybe even to the U.S. or to Europe, when you start to talk about emerging market or frontier companies that are small cap, <laughs> is, is that just the last frontier mm -hmm. of risk for, for an investor? It, it's interesting. People would naturally perceive emerging market small caps um, as being risky. What, what's interesting actually is if you look at the whole emerging market universe, um, small caps actually uh, are, are lower risk than large caps in emerging markets. Um, the reason is, uh, I mean, first of all, they have lower volatility, they have a lower beta with the MSCI world, a lower correlation with the MSCI world. And the reason is, first of all, that they tend to be far less followed. Uh, also, if you look at emerging market small caps, they tend to be in uh, much less cyclical sectors, so not so much in the uh, materials, energy sector, much more in the domestic sectors, sectors such as um, consumer discretionary, consumer staples, healthcare, financials. Uh, the other thing is that what you see with emerging market small caps is that they tend to be family-owned. Family-owned companies um, over the long term tend to perform well. Uh, far less of the state-owned enterprises, which tend to be much more cyclical and often are not run for, for minority shareholders. So all reasons that, um, interestingly enough, despite the, the fact that emerging market small caps actually have tended to outperform over the longer term, they actually offer, um, surprisingly enough, lower risk. Yeah. So I, I, I know the question everyone's uh, one's asking, particularly people who are who are uh, who are listening. Uh, what's uh, what's the your favorite place that you've traveled to in this capacity? Um, well, I I enjoyed going to um, 
the very early stage uh, emerging markets and the frontier markets. So for me, um, I, I was fortunate enough to go to, to Vietnam when, when it first opened up. Um, Laurence mentioned Bangladesh. I found that absolutely fascinating. I was there last year. And she also mentioned somewhere I also went to last year, Argentina. Argentina has been almost uninvestable for several years, really, because of um, sort of very poor uh, uh, politics. That's changed again in the last year or so. And I, I really found um, Argentina uh, uh, very fascinating. And for, for me, a lot of these countries that have relatively small number of uh, investors at the moment, which are relatively undiscovered, for me, are the most fascinating. I think for me, one of my favorite countries is South Africa. Uh, first, it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. But also, when you consider all the country functions, kind of with this uh, kind of equilibrium uh, between, of course, the, 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 the white population that owns pretty much everything, but still the black population that is a majority and is in power, but is really struggling, and the kind of um, the, the, the struggle, I would say, the country is in was being one of the richest in terms of resources. So I, I think I'm really, uh, I was there just also in, in December, and we, we went there just before the, the change in power. Uh, and uh, and it, it's really fascinating to see what's going to happen as next step, because this country uh, should be really one of, um, you know, one of the best in, in the world in terms of, of, of wealth and potential. Uh, so I think that's that's really one we follow very closely, and we find actually some of the best companies really in our countries in South Africa, very very good managements um, and franchises. So um, it's uh, it has to be one of our, our top countries as well. Canada is very beautiful too, you know. <laughs> and the International Monetary Fund back in the early 1990s said we were an emerging market at that point. So uh, we've come a long way since there. So you can see how things can develop very quickly. Let me just finish off because you you work so well together and you, you, you came to, at different times to the firm. What have, what have you learned from working uh, with Laurence? Well, one of the things that you know, I would say for me was important in terms of bringing our team together was very much to have um, a diverse team. So a diverse team in terms of gender, in terms of background, in terms of personality. I, I really didn't want to have a team of people identical to, to myself, thinking the same way as myself. I've, I've always felt it was very important for us to have, um, as a team, a culture of discussion and, 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 and debate, to have different opinions. Um, Laurence has you know, much more of a, a, a quantitative background, a contrarian uh, a background, a, a value background. I've always tended to focus on areas such as um, management, high-quality compounding companies. So it's great that we can have, as a team, a discussion with different points of view. Um, and Laurence has really been instrumental in, in terms of bringing that to, to our team. Yeah, diversity in a, in, a, in a portfolio is important, which is one of the themes of adding emerging markets. But it's also Absolutely. so important in teams managing money. We've just seen that so much. Absolutely. Uh, in, in, and you look at the success that you've had. It's definitely been a big part. Uh, you uh, you learned anything from Phil the Thrill? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> After I said all those nice things as well. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, 
Absolutely. I've always had, uh, Phil mentioned it, uh, when I started back a long time ago in more global equities, I always had this kind of contrarian kind of value background. And um, I learned so much from Phil. Now, every time I look at a stock, I got this little voice here, what would Phil say? Because, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's an amazing investor, right? He has an amazing uh, track record and he's, uh, he's really seeking differently from other people, which I think is how you add value. So, when, when I look at something, I'm always as a little voice and be like, oh, no, don't look at this company, it's rubbish. So it's really, uh, it's really great for me. The other thing is that Phil is an amazing manager. I mean, I want to talk, you, you are also an amazing manager of people, but that's so key, I think, because you can be you know, the best manager, but if you cannot manage a team, uh, you know, properly. Um, yeah, well, thank you, Laura. You've, you've never said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> you never get anywhere, right? Because you're going to be on your own and you cannot do anything on your own, right? So Phil has built a great team and people that love working with him, really, they would do anything for him, almost. Uh, so I think that, and it's very rare, it's very rare, I think, that you, you find a really great fund manager and a great manager. And I think that's been really... Uh, the main reason for the success of the team is that Phil has this, those two uh, qualities. I'm, really. I'm blushing now. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, but but it, it, it's true when you sit, sit amongst the team, it, it, it's an incredibly, and I say diverse viewpoints, a lot of ideas being passed around and, and in a very open environment. And that is the, the, the hallmark of a, of a good leader in the, at, at the top of the group, though, so it's too bad this is a podcast. He really is <laughs> yeah. so, so we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 do a a different uh, a different approach here. We'll do we'll be a bit contrarian instead of going to a lovely pub in London. Why don't we go find a sophisticated uh, wine bar with some lovely French wine okay. for uh, sounds for good. Ross, and we'll finish Let's up the day that. there. Let's thanks, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Personally Invested. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email us at rbcgampodcasts at rbc.com.